There it goes. Okay, I'm Grant. I'm an alcoholic. Happy to be here today. Thanks, Mark, for inviting me. Uh, Charlie has misled all of you. You're not going to have an outstanding speaker today, and he's hoping to hear my story, and he's not going to hear that either. Well, I'll give you what I call my 30-second log. And uh, if anybody wants to time it, feel free, because I've, I've never timed myself doing this, but I'm trying to get it down to 30 seconds. This is not my story. This is what I think about, and I'm passing on for you to think about or ignore. But here's my 30-second drunkalog. Ready, set, go. At age 16, I was driving 110 miles an hour plus, buried the speedometer, on a Chicago's first expressway. This was a long time ago. Drinking, I had a fifth of, or a, um, a half a pint of vodka in me and five pints of vodka in my glove compartment. Cops stopped me, surprising, and took me into jail, no surprise there. Threw me in, didn't say a word to me. I slept the night out. The next morning, they kicked me out of the jail and told me never to come back. No penalties, no tickets, not for speeding, not for drinking, nothing. That was how it was back in 1978. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's when I sobered up. That was how it was when I started drinking back in 19, must have been about 1960. At age 35, I went into a rehab at Resurrection Hospital in Park Ridge, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. Father Ed, a priest and former drinking buddy of mine, was my counselor. He's the guy I called for help, and that's what he did. Surprise, you're going to the hospital. I got out of the hospital. Slim became my sponsor. We went to meetings to learn what to do and what not to do. That's what he taught me. And the first home group I had taught me this one. They said, stick with the winners and learn from the losers. At age 79 now, it's been 16,185 days without a drink. And I'm talking to you. This is also 44 years if you can't do the math on the 16,000. And that is the end of my. Let's see. I think I made it in under 40 seconds. That's the end of my drunk log. That's my story, Charlie. Sorry to disappoint you. What I really like to talk about is things that are on my mind currently. It's been a long time getting here. There was a guy who wrote a book not too long ago, and I got a copy of it. And it's sort of what I've been doing. This book, I don't know if, how well you can see it. It's called 25 Years of Listening. It's by a guy named Glenn Palmer Smith. It's really a nice little book. Well, it's not little. It's pretty big, actually. It's the notes and some nice drawings he did of 25 years in AA. And that's what I've been doing, except I can't draw pictures like he does. And I haven't put them in a book, and I have no intentions of being published. You folks are the guinea pigs. You get to listen. Well, you're not the first guinea pigs. I've done this before. Because it's just what's going on with me, you know, and uh, what it's like being sober a long time. It's no different than it was when I first sobered up. My first home group in Chicago, well, the first meeting I got to the day I got out of the hospital was a men's small, very closed mind. Oh, man, were they closed minded group. And I, I really didn't want to ever go back there. And fortunately, one of the guys told me about this rowdy men's group in South Suburbs of Chicago. That's where I was living. And uh, they became my instant home group because they were a rowdy bunch. It was a big group. They were very open-minded. 
we wouldn't have didn't know the word secular back then, but that group might have been called secular because they were not very religious at all. They were as far from it as you could get, I think. Uh, half the group got out, went drunk, got drunk every weekend, and you know they were the losers I was supposed to learn from. And half the group was old timers that stayed sober for a long time, and those were the guys who took me on. We actually made twelve-step calls in those days, and we always went two together. A guy named Jerry would always take me with. He'd call me up and say, Grant, get your coat on. We're going on a, on a trip. And we'd go pick up some guy and take him to a meeting or take him to a hospital or take him to the police station, whatever was appropriate. And we were very careful because, like, one of the times we went in, the guy was sitting there with a gun in front of him, loaded, ready to use it either on him or us. So, you know, it was fun and exciting in those days. We don't get to do that much anymore. But what I like and what I've learned is like some of the stuff I've already said, stick with the winners, learn from the losers. I got that from Home at 17. And my sponsor would always say things like, I'd come to him with some problem and he'd say, well, let's think about that. These are what I call bumper stickers. Back in those days, cars had bumpers. I had an MGTD from Britain. Uh, it had steel bumpers, which could be removed by just taking two bolts off, and then you could bang the dents out of it and put it back on again. Nowadays, bumpers you know, are things you do not want to put stickers on because they cost like $1,200 for a replacement part, that expensive, cheap plastic. But bumper stickers is what I called them. The other day, I heard somebody call them cliches. He said he learned from the cliches. Uh, some other people call them slogans. Uh, but like I say, bumper stickers. And I got a lot of them. And that's what's in this guy's book too. Um, my belt buckle has one of the first ones I learned. I got a big, I don't have it here right now. It's in my closet. Big brass belt buckle and on big letters it says, easy does it. And in small letters underneath it, it says, but do it. And that's how I learned, oh yeah, this is a program of action, son of bitch. I got to do this stuff, not just think about it, read about it, talk about it, bullshit about it, and all that sort of stuff. I got to do it. And I still have that, and I wear that regularly. Well, when I get dressed up, something other than my work jeans, which is all I wear now in retirement. The reason I like these is because, number one, they keep life simple for me. I have been practicing a philosophy of simplicity. I started reading about it before I got sober, but I really got into it. There's a guy in the States called Henry David Thoreau, who some people consider the greatest philosopher we ever had in this country. And I read his stuff, and he was a fan of keeping it simple. Uh, he, he lived and built a little log cabin out in uh, Concord, Massachusetts, a little one-room place, and went to live there to learn how to live life he says, if it be mean, he wanted to see it at its meanest. See, there's a little bumper sticker from him. And I can remember bumper stickers or slogans, whatever you want to call them. I cannot remember lectures. When I went to church as a kid, I was forced to do that. They do sermons, 20 minutes. I could not remember that stuff when I got home. I go to some of these AA meetings, like that first one I mentioned, which is a very tight-knit bunch. They did sermons. There's one guy who ran the group. All he did was sermons. And man, I not only couldn't remember them, I didn't even want to. They were like nightmares. This was a guy who called me up one day and told me, come over to my house this morning. 
And so I showed up at his house and he proceeded to take my inventory for me. And I didn't realize it then, but I look back now and think this guy had appointed himself my sponsor. Only I didn't know it. But he told me all the things I was doing wrong. And number one thing I was doing wrong, he said, was I was going out to coffee with all these other people after the AA meetings. Now, that's a horrible thing, right? Going out to coffee with other alcoholics after me. He says, the waitresses will find out. You know, you can't keep your anonymity that way. That's a terrible thing. You shouldn't do that. So that was the last time I ever spoke to him. And he did not get to be my sponsor. This other guy, like I mentioned, Slim, he got to be my sponsor. I had him right away. One of the things that I liked having a sponsor from right away and I just was lucky in that regard, I guess, but he was a guy I could consider a friend, and we did become friends, uh, was that there was other guys who would come up to me after a meeting and say, well, Grant, uh, here's what you should do. And I've since learned a bumper sticker, thou shalt not should thyself. <laughs> I like that one. Don't should yourself. And these guys would should me. Uh, Grant, you're doing this wrong. You need to do this. And, and I realized these guys were trying to appoint themselves my sponsor. And I was so glad I had Slim because I'd look at them and smile very politely and say, oh, I'm sorry. I already have a sponsor. And that's a little bumper sticker I pass along for any new guys who are getting manipulated by anybody. Just get a sponsor fast. Anybody will do as long as you can tell these other assholes to bug off politely, because you know, you're, you're gonna see more in meetings, you gotta put up with them anyhow, you know, it's no getting around it. So, there's a guy, one I picked up recently. I've been picking up a lot of new bumper stickers in, in Zoom meetings, because I'm getting to a big variety of meetings, and I love variety. I got really tired in the room meetings of going to the same room meeting, hearing the same guys say the same story, the same sermon, week after week. And so I kept running around. In Chicago, it was easy. I could find a lot of meetings. But now I'm retired up to the Northern Bible Belt of Wisconsin. And all the meetings end with the Lord's Prayer. And all the meetings give sermons during the meeting. And it's hard on me. But I have good friends there, too, you know. I had 42 years of doing nothing but traditional meetings, and now I get to do both kinds, and I do both kinds on Zoom. Uh, as a matter of fact, I kept trying to remember if this was a traditional meeting or a secular meeting, but uh, <laughs> too bad if I'm in the wrong kind, you guys are getting what I got to pass out anyway. Speaking of that, here's how I do both meetings. And I just heard this one the other day, but it's a really old bumper sticker from before AA. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I love that one. And right after that, somebody else said, AA is a very big tent. We got room for everybody in here. And believe it or not, the Grapevine published a small booklet, which is a collection of their stories. I don't know if you know about the Grapevine. It's AA's uh, partner in magazine publishing. And the book is called A Very Big Tent. And it's about how we're all supposed to be able to fit under this tent. And I like that because I'm still going to new traditional meetings and Zoom meetings, one right after the other. In the course of a day, I do typically three meetings these days. It's easy on Zoom, and especially if you're retired. And maybe the first one in the morning is a men's group out in LA I go to, which is a traditional meeting. And then the next one maybe is a secular meeting. The third one's crapshoot. I just look on my list and say, well, what meeting haven't I been to lately? And then I go there. 
And uh, that's what keeps me interested in, in hearing new things. Uh, a guy said at a meeting the other day, he was at a secular meeting, he's a very secular person, and he said, we need to go to traditional meetings to tell the new guys that this is okay. That you won't necessarily get drunk just because you don't believe in God, like some of the people supposedly tell them in the traditional meetings. Now, I never had anybody tell me I had to believe in God or I wouldn't get sober, but that's because I was going to this tough guys meeting, and I picked up some of that attitude from them, and I think people just got a little bit afraid of me. They didn't cross me very much, but that's okay. Maybe sometimes we got to be tough. Somebody else said recently, and this is what I do, look for the nugget in any meeting, the little gold nugget. And that's where I get out what I call bumper stickers. They're gold nuggets. That's another good phrase for them, you know. I listened, and it makes me pay attention, and it helps me filter out all the garbage I'm not interested in. Like sometimes I get to meet. We got a couple in Chicago that I know, and I like the guys, and I like the meetings, but uh, some of the people there like to give us grand lectures on brain chemistry. Somebody will say they had an emotion, and oh my God, here comes the lecture, you know. Your brain is composed of this part and the front part and the back part and the side part, and the chemistry is like this, and the long words are that, and the paragraphs are about this big, and it goes on for at least 10 minutes. And man, I cannot digest any of that stuff. I am not a doctor. I don't know Latin, and I couldn't care less with the brain. I'm going to tell you my idea of brain chemistry. I'm a model railroader as a hobby. And in model railroading, we do a lot of electrical wiring, low voltage. It's safe stuff. And so we use small wires. And we get them messed up because we're not experts in it. I can make a real bundle of wires under my layout that is just a tangled mess. And it's a bitch trying to figure out what's supposed to go where when something shorts out and the sparks start flying. And I decided that's what my brain is like. It's just a messed up bundle of wires. Short circuits, bare insulations, disconnected wires. Totally messed up, like a bowl of spaghetti, you know, except none of the noodles are the same length. They're all different. And you can get a lot of wires in a small bundle and make a real mess of it. And I concluded from that, no two people can possibly have the same mess of wires in their head. We're like snowflakes. And that's one of my new bumper stickers. We're like snowflakes. No, I thought of that one myself. How about that? No two of us think alike. And when I realized that, I says, holy shit, that explains a lot. Every damn one of us is different. We are not like the Harley Davidson motorcycle riders who are the two percenters. They are unique, you know, just ask them as they all take off down the road dressed exactly alike on the exact same type of motorcycle. I always get a chuckle out of it. I used to ride motorcycles, but I had BMWs and Hondas and all sorts of things, and I did not dress up like a Harley rider. I could go into a restaurant and they'd seat me, and they didn't worry about me because I didn't look like I was a biker. So they just want to be different too, but they all dress the same. They have to do the same thing and join a club. I'm not a member of any clubs except this one. And of course, this one's as loose as a goose. You know, I can do anything I want in this club. I can say anything I want. And some people get pissed off and some people laugh. And that's the way it goes. I'm me, you're you, and we are all different. 
And that's the snowflake theory and the messed up wires in the brain theory of mine. I get new short circuits all the time. That reminds me now, I learned something the hard way. When I was working for a living, I was pretty physically active. Let's see, I got 16 minutes on the clock now, so I got a few left, huh? Um, and I didn't worry about exercise. Basically, I hated exercise. Never wanted to exercise. When I was a kid, I was a typical kid that always got picked last for the football and the baseball games. So I never got good at that stuff. Sometimes they didn't pick me at all. And yeah, and like, here's another place where we're all the same. I didn't fit in. How about that? Anybody here ever have problems not fitting in when they were kids? Anybody? Nobody raised their hand? Nobody? You all fit in? That's great. I didn't. Um, well, Christine's smiling. Christine, maybe you didn't fit in. Raise your hand if you didn't fit in when you were a kid. I can see you, Christine. There, okay, we got at least one person here in the room who is like me, didn't fit in when they were a kid. So I didn't learn sports. I never got to be athletic and I learned to hate exercise. I was, gym class was my least favorite class. So I got older, I got wiser in AA and they told me I should take care of my health. I started going to doctors, getting my teeth fixed, all that good stuff for annual, uh, what do you call it? Annual checkups at the doctor. Uh, I still get, uh, checkups at my dentist and a cleaning every four months. And I got most of my teeth. Oh, a few had to come out, <laughs> mostly when I was drinking. Yeah, I didn't take care of myself at all during my drinking years. And uh, so I retired finally at age 60, and I moved back up here to the hills of Apples in Wisconsin. And I worked for a while, fixing up a house and a yard, and then all of a sudden, nothing. Boom. I wasn't doing anything active. I said, oh, shit, I'm going to have to take up exercise. Mowing the lawn is not that frequent of a job. Shoveling snow is not that frequent. It's not going to do the job for me. And I went to the YMCA, and I got a trainer. I hired a, a trainer who was a retired fireman, and he was tough as nails. My God, this guy was strong. And he was almost as old as me. And he trained me and he made me work harder and harder. And I got to where I was in pain. And he says, no pain, no gain, right? Well, there's some bullshit. Watch out for that one. He took off on a vacation for a couple of weeks. And my shoulder on one side hurt so bad, I went to a doctor. My doctor sent me to an orthopedic specialist. And he said, you just got here in time or I'd be doing surgery on you two weeks from now. And they gave me some orthopedic exercises, body weights, hand weights, lightweight stuff. But, you know, because I'm getting old, I was in my 60s. And they says, you could do all this stuff at an hour long exercise three times a week or four. And I started doing it and I hated it, of course. And here's where my brain started getting rewired. You know, they say this is a do things program, not just talk about it. I did what the doctor told me. He laid out these 24 things to do for exercise. All my shoulders, arms, body weight, back, legs, you name it, everything except my brain was getting exercised. My brain was getting rewired. Short circuits were being connected. Uh, misplaced circuits were getting put back together. Just like when I joined AA, I was getting rewired, but I didn't know it. Now I knew I was getting rewired because I started liking exercise. Every morning now, and I did it this morning too. I get up and I, well, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I do the full one hour exercise. They told me to take off on Tuesdays and Thursdays because the body needs a rest. I couldn't really do that though because I had gotten accustomed to saying, oh, here, 
Is this a secular meeting or not? I forget. But anyhow, I was saying prayers, the serenity prayer at the end of every exercise routine, at the end of the morning, you know, not, not after every level routine. At the end of my hour, I do that while I'm doing my final exercise, actually. And I say four versions of the serenity prayer. And I'll tell you what they are real fast. I got time left. Oops, 20 minutes. You want me to go on or you want me to quit now? Yeses right, or no's? Yeah. Okay, go on. Four, four serenity prayers. One's the regular one. Grant me a serenity except the things I cannot change. Well, things is easy. Lawnmowers, cars, you know, nuts and bolts stuff, you know. And if it's too complicated, take it into the dealer and get it fixed there. And if it's a real bucket of rust, get rid of the piece of shit and buy a new car. That's things. They don't nag me. They don't bug me. But people. So my second version is grant me this serenity, except the people I cannot change. Courage to change the person that I can. That's me. Then I thought, well, there's this woman I met. And I, actually, I got set up by when I was three years sober. Two old ladies tricked me into meeting this woman, and I've been living with her now. Well, we're married 40 years. And I do not understand women, and I really don't understand her. She is as different from me as that. She's not an alcoholic. She's not an Al-Anon. The night she met me, I told her I was an alcoholic, and she says, well, that's okay. I don't have to drink, and she hasn't had a drink since. Now, what kind of a person is that? I guess they call them normies, but don't call her normie. She doesn't like to be called a normie or average or any of that stuff. She's unique, and she knows it, and she is. And so she got to be my third version. Grant me the serenity, except the wife I cannot change. All these years, I kept trying. I still try once in a while, and it's hopeless. And I should know better, but I still do it once in a while. And then I know, no, I'm wrong. I got to stop this shit. So I say that one every morning after, including the Tuesdays and Thursdays when I do a half workout, despite what the doctor told me, because I got to say these prayers. So I get down to that's the, she's the third one. The fourth one I had to add due to COVID. It, things were changing all over the place. I couldn't keep track of what the rules were, where you had to wear a mask, where you didn't. And so I added this one. It says, grant me the serenity, except the changes I cannot change. Encourage to change the changes that I can, which is not much. You know, I can barely change what goes on in this house. And I don't want to change my exercise routine. I've now been doing that for about 15 years, Monday through Friday. They told me to take the weekends off, got to rest the body, let it heal because it's hard work. But they also taught me pain is a problem. If you get pain, come to the doctor, they told me, and stop doing that exercise. And I got pain, you know, the first time it was my shoulder and I was doing chin-ups and I was getting better at it. The doctor says, don't ever do another chin-up again. They're terrible for your shoulders. Okay, I do something. Here's something I learned when I got right out of the drunk tank, the, you know, the therapy, the hospital program. I learned to follow the instructions. There's a bumper sticker. You can write that one down. That's a good one. There is a place, and I don't memorize big books and 12 and 12 books, but somewhere in one of those, there's something about the doctor saying the reason the patient relapsed was because he failed to follow the instructions. Now, I know in how it works, they say these are suggestions, but my sponsor taught me this is the instruction sheet. This is the instruction manual. Take what you want, leave the rest. There's a bumper sticker for you. Again, I got that one back in my early days, and that's how I survived 42 years of traditional meetings, being I'm not labeled an agnostic or an atheist, but I don't go to church. I don't go to any churches. 
I don't believe in religion. I learned that when I was a kid, having it shoved down my throat in a Lutheran church. And I quit believing in religion while I was going to <laughs> religious classes. The ministers drove me nuts. Anyway, I'm getting close to the end. Let's see, 24 mm -hmm. minutes. How's that? Let's call this the end. Okay, the end. <laughs>